For those of you who don't know me, I'm John Wyman. I'm the mission pastor here at Fellowship of Grace. This morning, I get the privilege to spend a little time talking about ministry and maybe taking a look at maybe our views on ministry and taking a look at what the Bible tells us about ministry. So as I was preparing this week, I, I started to take a look at like, how we view words, how we understand words. So I started by taking a look at how words are translated. And as I was looking through, I found some interesting stuff. I found some funny stuff. I figured I'd share a little bit of it. So years ago, Pepsi changed their slogan, and they changed it to come alive with Pepsi. So because Pepsi is sold all through the world, obviously they had to translate that slogan into every language where they had market. It worked pretty well, except in China, where they translated it into Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the dead. Kentucky Fried Chicken didn't do a whole lot better in the China market, although they don't change their, their slogan, their, their finger looking good quite as often. They did tell people in China that they could eat their fingers off. <laughs> and as amusing as that was, I, I found out pretty quickly that that wasn't getting me any closer to prepare a, a good godly message this morning. So I figured I'd just uh, transition quickly to start taking a look at how some English words have changed over time. And I started to do some research, and I, I found some interesting things. For instance, the word rival. Uh, back in the 1400s, if you were to, to define the word rival, use the word rival, it would mean just the two banks of a river or the shoreline of a body of water. But over time, what happened was, because um, fishermen are out on the rivers and the, and the banks, they started to compete for portions of the shoreline. And that what, what leads us now to our understanding of rivals being like an opponent or a competitor. The word nervous in the 1400s, if you were a man and someone described you as nervous, that would actually be quite a compliment because back then the word nervous meant very muscular, very powerful. Uh, what happened over the next couple of hundred years was, if you ever, if you ever see a, a guy who's like really muscular, especially when they're wearing uh, a short sleeve shirt, you can see like the muscles, they'll, they'll twitch, they'll move. And what happened over the next couple of hundred years was that that morphed itself into someone who was anxious. They were kind of shaking because they were unsure or nervous. And that's why we, we have the, the definition of the word anxious now, too. The word ambidextrous, you know, the ability to, to use both hands, you know, the dominant and the non-dominant hand just as well. If, if you were to tell someone in the 1600s that they were ambidextrous, that was actually an insult. That was a very bad thing because what that meant back then was an ambidextrous person, or ambidexter is what they call them, uh, would usually be an official who was taking bribes with both hands and then would, you know, double-cross one of those two. Um, so it's, it's not nearly as unique a skill or as, as powerful a skill as it is today. Now, when, when, when we mistranslate words, that's kind of funny, unless you're the translator. I mean, we kind of, you know, misunderstand words or words change. That's kind of interesting. It's not a big deal. Unless we start talking about biblical principles. Now, when we start talking about misunderstanding and mistranslating biblical principles, then we run the risk of missing an opportunity to take part in God's plan. We, we run the risk of, of not living the way God would, would have us live and do all the things that he's prepared us to do and he's called us to do. So um, one of the things that kind of bothered me as I, I started to, to, to work on this message was I started to see that there's clearly, just as you know, like the word rival, the word ner nervous, the word ambidextrous has different meanings. Unfortunately, there are some folks today who publish inappropriate or, or, or poor translations of the word minister and ministry. If you were to go on to websites for Christianity Today, which is a large uh, monthly publication, or the website for pastor.com, 
or the National Association of Ministers, or even Guidestone, which offers financial services and insurance to pastors, what you'd see there is on their websites, they actually equate the word minister with pastor. They, they, they put them as one in the same. And unfortunately, what we're going to see today is that that's not a proper understanding of the word. So as we start here, I do want to just real quick, maybe, you know, a clear understanding. This message is not a call to service. This is not about, hey, you know, let's talk about ministry and then when you, when you run out of here, we'll have a bunch of sign-up sheets so people can start doing so. That's not what this is about. What we're really trying to do today is to gain a deeper understanding on biblical principles, gain a deeper understanding of how God has called us to serve and how we can serve. And, and, and my prayer as we go through this today is it's an encouragement and it's an inspiration to you. So with, with that said, what I'd like to do is, is start with some scripture. I'm start with uh, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And in there, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's describing gifts that God has given. And in there, what he writes, he says, and he, God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, you'll notice in, in this passage here, teachers from saints. Now, as you look through the, the New Testament, what you'll see is the words overseer, shepherd, pastor, elder. They're all used synonymously. They all deal or, or, or with the, the office of pastor. That, that's, that's what those four words mean. Also, as you look through the New Testament, what you'll see is the word saint is consistently used throughout the New Testament to refer to a believing Christian. So what Paul is saying here very clearly is the elders, the pastors, equip and prepare every other believing Christian to do the work of ministry. That, that's what he's saying here. He's not saying the pastors are exempt from ministries. They are. They just, they just have different roles, one of which is to equip um, other believers for the role of ministry. So as, as we take a look at our understanding of, of ministry today, I think there are three questions that we can use that can help us examine or gauge our look or our understanding of ministry. And the first one is, how do I view myself? Now, let me give you a scenario. Say you were at some type of a gathering. Maybe it was something at school with your kids. Maybe it was a Christmas party. And you meet someone. It was the first time you met them, and you start talking to them. And at some point, they, they say, so what do you do? You know, and, and, and what, what, what response do we usually come with? You know, is it, hey, I'm, I'm a mechanic, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, I'm a, I'm a system administrator? Would that be the, the response? I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. But maybe a question for us to ask is, let's say I'm a, a mechanic as an example. Someone asks me, what do you do? Is my response, hey, I'm a mechanic? Or is my response, I'm a minister whose God, God has equipped and allowed to work as a mechanic? That's a really different answer there. When, when you look at it, it really kind of changes our view on what ministry is. It was, it was interesting. <clears throat> I was talking with someone between service, and they brought up a great point about Paul, the guy who just wrote um, this passage he read here. And, and if you look in the New Testament, Paul consistently refers to himself as a minister, except one time when he talks about the fact that he makes tents. He's a tent maker. See, the predominance of Paul's description in view of himself throughout the New Testament is as a minister, even though he does have a vocation as a tent maker. You know, the, the question, and, and, and don't get me wrong, vocation, job, they're, they're good, they're a blessing. They're, they're biblical, it's biblical to work, for guys, especially for guys. That's a good thing. The question becomes is, do I view myself first in terms of my current earthly vocation, 
or do I view myself first in terms of my eternal purpose? The second question I think we can ask ourselves to help gauge where we, where we, how we look at, at ministry is, how do others view me? And, and what we mean here is, my faith in Jesus Christ, my faith in what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection, would that be a surprise to the people in my life? Like, like if, if, if I was at work and someone made a comment, oh yeah, John's a, John's a Christian, John's a pastor. Would, would people go, wow, I have no idea. I mean, how, how do people view me in that way? I, my, my wife Dee and I, when we, uh, shortly after we married, I was, I was a very new Christian at that time. And we were serving, or excuse me, we weren't even serving yet. We were just, uh, had, had joined a, a local church. And there was a leader at that church, and we were talking one day. He made an interesting comment. He said, you know, I, I think most people at work probably have a pretty good idea of kind of where I stand on the Bible. And like I said, I, I was a brand new Christian at the time. But I, I remember thinking, that just sounds weird. Like That does, doesn't sound right. And I didn't understand why until fortunately I was discipled over, over a period of time and still am, God bless you. And I, I, gained, I, I grew to understand that, look, when, when we place our faith in Christ, a life that's lived in faith with Christ, the only thing it can do is demonstrate that faith to the people around us. It can't do anything else. When, when, when I live and I place my, my, my faith in Christ, it's obvious to the people around us. There's no kind of, sort of, maybe people might, what I do. It's evident in the way I live. It's evident in the way I talk. It's evident in the way I don't talk. It, it, it just demonstrates itself in everything that I do. The third question I think we can ask as we try to kind of examine our, our views on, on ministry is, where do I place my identity? And what we mean by that is, like, what defines me? How, do I, how am I known? Not necessarily how do I want to be known, but how am I known? What, what do I place my, 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 my life into? For instance, you might say, well, my kids are everything, especially if you have younger kids. You know, my, my kids are everything. Or, or guys sometimes will say, oh, it's my work, man. I, I'm, I'm, it's all about my career. But if you think about it, although those are great blessings, it's an awesome, awesome blessing and responsibility to be a parent, to raise kids. It's a great blessing to have a job and to, be, you know, to, 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 to do good work. But when you think about it, those are both pretty temporary. You know, our, our, our kids are going to grow up, and, and eventually they're going to move out. You know, as, 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 as wonderful as they are some days, there's, there's times we wish that day would come quicker and quicker. You know? But, but eventually, they're going to move out. Where's your identity then? Is it, is it like, do you no longer have an identity? Or are you just like, nobody? You know? Same with work. I mean, you know, hopefully we retire. You know, hopefully we don't get laid off or anything. But, you know, eventually our, our, our work ends. What happens then? Like if our identity is completely in that, and that goes away for, for good or bad, what, what happens then? You know, the question becomes, let's, let's look at it in terms of work. The question becomes, do I primarily have a career or do I primarily have a calling? So we can have both. We can have a career, and we definitely have a calling when we, when we come to faith in Christ. But what's primary to me? What, what, what defines me? And I, I think as we look at that, the question we might want to answer, ask to help answer that is, what lasts? What lasts? And I'm going to give you an example here. Some of you may know what this is, and some of you may not. Okay? This is a Polaroid instant camera. 
It was, it was developed, actually, back, not this one, this type, but it, the, full, the instrument can was actually developed by a guy named Edwin Lamb back in the late 1930s. And this guy was a really smart dude. He was a 500-pound brain guy, inventor, CEO. Um, matter of fact, his name was on over 530 U.S. patents. The only person who had their name on more patents than Edwin Lamb was Thomas Edison. They had like over 1,000. Um, Polaroid actually started outside of Boston, and the Boston Globe actually described Polaroid at one point as, quote, a juggernaut of innovation. And that's how they defined them. Now, this camera, if, you, if, if you're old enough to know, and by the way, that's a collapsible one, which was really awesome, because most of them were like these big clunky things that you carried around like, like the man purse. I mean, it was huge if you wanted to go take pictures. And what you would do is you'd raise this big thing up and you'd, you'd, you know, whoever, if I wanted to take a picture of Gretchen, you know, I'd like get it, because this is as close as I could get. There was no focusing or zoom or anything on it, you know. And I'd take the picture and I'd wait for this piece of paper to slowly, slowly come out. You just come out the front, okay? And it's all black and nasty and everything, so you take the end and you just shake it like a knucklehead for like a minute, you know? And then you would get this amazing resolution picture, like, Three or four pixels on this picture that's just amazing within a minute. And we laugh about it, but believe it or not, at the time, in 1978, there were two companies who made instant cameras, Kodak and Polaroid. In 1978, those two companies sold 14 million of these things. This was a big deal. As a matter of fact, um, Polaroid came over the first. Kodak actually had bought a lot of Co Polaroids, um, like, products and everything. So when Kodak came up with it, Polaroid accused them of stealing their technology, actually sued Kodak. Now this is 1978 dollars for 12 billion dollars. That's even a lot of money today, you know? But that, that's how important, that's how lucrative this, this innovation was. That's how big a deal this was. But I didn't see anybody walking in here with one today, you know? It, Lamb was, was a brilliant guy, a brilliant dude. He threw everything he had into this company in, in innovation. Unfortunately, like I said, 1978, you know, 14 million of these things sold. By the early 1980s, Polaroid kicked Lamb out. He was gone. 2001, Polaroid went bankrupt. Now, the company still exists. They just basically kept the name when they, when they recame. But, I mean, they're gone as, as the company that developed this kind of technology. It was, it was, it was amazing, but it was incredibly temporary. So we, we talk about where do I place my identity and what lasts? Is it our work that we make, you know, enough money that we can sell, sue somebody for $12 billion? Or is, is, it, is it maybe something a little more lasting, a little more permanent? Think, think of, think of the, the effect of someone like Billy Graham, the effect of someone like William Carey, who's considered the, the father of modern uh, missions, Corey Ten Boom, Lottie Moon. Think about the person who shared the gospel with you. Think about the person who talked about the change that God made in them and their life when they turned their life over to Christ and put their faith in what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. Think about that as, as a lasting identity. It gives a complete see questions, and I hope those are useful. I, I would you know, maybe recommend to you to, to look at those questions periodically and just kind of continue to, to, to gauge you know, what, is your, what is your view on ministry. What I'd like to do now is, is kind of transition from examining ourselves to examining what the Bible tells us about this. And I think when we look, there are four definitions or four truths that we can see out of the, out of the Bible in terms of ministry. But I want to start with a definition of what ministry is. 
And it, it comes from the Greek word diakonos. That, that verb uh, it translates to a servant, to an attendant, to a deacon, to a minister. All those words are synonymous. All those are, words are proper um, translations of, of, of the noun diakonos. If you lose the verb diakonio, that translates to serve someone, to wait on them, to, to minister to them. See, when we understand the translation that way, when we understand ministry in that way, the biblical truths become pretty straightforward. And the first one is that every Christian is a minister. I think Paul laid that out pretty well in, in, in our, in our um, passage from Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. But really, we don't have to look much farther than what Jesus did, how he lived his life, how he, what he modeled, and what he taught. And, and, and a great passage out of Scripture from that is John 13. And, and if you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, that is um, it's part of what's called the final discourse. It's, it's actually uh, in, in John 13 is the night of the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus is giving some final uh, instructions to his disciples before he's betrayed. And he actually, after the dinner, Jesus gets up and he goes around the table and he washes the feet of all 12 disciples. So after he's done this, what John records is that when he, Jesus, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me Lord and teacher, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also, you should do just as I have done to you. Folks, the concept, the understanding of Everyone ministering, being part of God's plan. I mean, we've got it in God's own word right here. God, God's explained it to him in his own words right in front of us in John 13. Think about this for a second. Think about the privilege of being released to minister. Just re- go do it. Be released. How many times in life have we come, up with situ- come across situations, come upon situ- situations, whether we're a kid, a teenager, you know, in our jobs, where we felt restricted or held back from doing something that, that we, f- we knew we could do, we knew would make a difference, we felt it was important, we knew if we were allowed to do it, we, we could make an impact, we were held back from that. And how frustrating that was. Yet here's the God of the universe pointing to each one of us going, hey, you're on my team. Not only you're on my team, I'm going to equip you, I trust you, let's go do this together. You and me, let's get to work. How empowering is that? How, how much value do you feel with that when someone says that to you? Folks, when we talk about, about ministry, a lot of times we do t- uh, it, it does take the form of works, and that's true. We do want to be a little careful when we talk about faith and works. Works do not lead to our salvation. Only our faith in what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection saves us. However, when that happens, when we place our faith in Christ, our works is simply an expression or result of that faith. It's simply an expression or result of the change that happens in us when we place our faith in Christ. D.L. Moody had a great quote. He said, I'm only one, but I'm one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. See, folks, it's not about what we can't do. It's about what we can do. Now, for those of you who are here regularly, you'll notice, perhaps, that I've never performed a solo as part of the musical worship of our service. Um, As a matter of fact, if you're really um, paying attention, you'll notice when I sit over here, nobody sits in front of me. 
twice. <laughs> no one ever sits in front of me twice. And that's okay because I know it is a soothing aroma to the Lord and a, a brutal, brutal experience for everybody else in front of me. And that's okay. I understand. I'm not gifted that way. And I can live with it. I can live with it. But I know there are things God has equipped me to do. And that's okay. I can do those things, and I will do those things. Folks, our gifts, our abilities, the ministries, and the roles that we're called to, that just leads us to how we serve, which really kind of leads us right into our next point, which is God equips us for ministry. And he does it in a lot of different ways. He can do it through life experiences. He can do it through education. He can do it through our jobs or the experience we have in vocation, maybe spiritual experiences, other ministries. Sometimes he does it through painful experiences as well. And I, I think a, a good, good passage of Scripture to, to kind of expand on this point is 1 Peter 4.10. And then there Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's grace. He's not saying, well, if you get a gift, or when you might get a gift. He says, look, you receive a gift, each one of you. Now, they might be different. They might take on different, different roles. But we're all gifted. Over 50 times in the Bible... The Bible makes reference to loving one another, to caring for one another, for praying for another, encouraging, helping, counseling, discipling, supporting one another. Fifty different times it talks about that. We're equipped to do that. Another 25 times we see specific teaching on sharing the gospel and sharing our faith in Christ. All part of ministry. You see, Peter highlights here that it's only through God's grace. It's a free gift that we did nothing to earn ourselves. But it's only through God's grace that we're blessed with these skills and abilities. But he also makes it clear that part of this gift is to use it for God's glory, not to let it waste, not to, not to let it go unused. Folks, we have a lot of different gifts. We're blessed with spiritual gifts. We might have physical abilities, job skills, personalities, the ability to connect with people. But we all have them. I was, I was reading a... a, a a sermon by Charles Spurgeon last week, and a great, great point in there. He said, the scriptures contain no instance of an untalented believer. I hope that's a source of encouragement for you. I hope that's a source of inspiration to you to help break down some myths of what you can and can't do. Let me give you a couple of examples right here at Fog. I have a FOG member who has a background in finance and, and accounting. And they came to me and they said that they were interested in serving more. Uh, and we kind of talked a little bit. We, we kind of felt that Hillcrest Transitional Housing would be a good um, ministry maybe for, for that person to use the skills they had. And if you're not familiar with Hillcrest, it's, it, 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 literally the word says transitional. It's transitioning from being homeless to being self-sufficient. It's generally a 90-day program, uh, a series of apartments uh, just, just south of here. Uh, and when the, when the residents come in, they're accepted in the program. It's not an easy program to get into. It's not an easy program to go through, but, but the changes are amazing. And the residents are responsible for, for budgeting. They're responsible for life skill classes. They're responsible for getting and maintaining a job. They're responsible for helping maintain the property, not just their apartment. And when you go to the graduations and you listen, not only to the, the, the amount of money they've saved, the amount of debt that they've paid off, but the life changes they've had in them, it's unbelievably inspiring. And so, so this member went down there and spent three months every week sitting one-on-one -on -one with a resident teaching how to budget. This person had never budgeted before in their life. Matter of fact, one of their questions was, really, you do this all the time? 
I mean, and I don't say that like as a joke. I mean, it was a concept that, that the resident simply wasn't familiar with. Yet the, the fog member went down there, used a skill they had, used an interest, and made an amazing impact. I'll give you another example. I've been texting and praying with a fog member over the last week and a half or two. Who this person went through a very painful loss of a family member several years ago. And we were kind of talking and praying together, and they, they said that now they feel called to share that experience and share how they came through that experience with another person who it looks like they've got a family member about to go through the same thing. Folks, we're all gifted. We're gifted and capable beyond sometimes what we understand and what we can see. If you've never thought, your, thought of yourself as being equipped, if you've never thought of yourself as being, having the ability to minister, I want, you to, I want to suggest a couple things you can try. The first one, make a list of things you can do. Just, just pull out a pen and paper and just start writing down things you can do. You know, it might start with the big things. You know, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. I can work on cars, you know. But then, hopefully it'll move to what we would otherwise consider to be the small things. Maybe you're a good listener. Maybe you can just sit quietly and let someone else talk. In this day and age, that's kind of a skill sometimes. It's a useful skill. Maybe, maybe you just like having people over to visit. Maybe by nature, your personality, you're an encouraging and positive person. Maybe you've got a life experience to share. Similar to the example I just gave. Maybe you've got a work situation. Maybe at one point you were laid off. You know, and, and, and there's somebody else who needs to hear the story of how you came through that on the other end, and there is hope on the other end. Maybe you have had an experience with a difficult coworker or a difficult boss that could be a benefit or a blessing to someone else who's going through that right now. You might have a life experience with a parenting situation, either a parent to younger children, or if you're a stage of life, parents, parenting with, with age, your parents who are aging and, and how you went through that. Maybe you've got marital relational situations in your life that would be a blessing to someone. Maybe you've overcome a sinful habit that somebody else is, str- is struggling with right now. Or maybe you've got the ability to identify in someone and recognize when someone's struggling with someone but they're not saying anything. When they're having trouble, but they don't say it to anybody, but you can recognize it and, and, and breathe into that life. Folks, those are just a couple of examples. I mean, we, we could come up with a ton of examples, and, and you've all got a bunch of them. But when we start to recognize what those are, then we can start to, to view them as tools that God's equipped us with. The second recommendation or a second um, thing you might want to try to do is to write a list of things you're grateful for. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I was just kind of really down in the dumps, just having kind of a bad day, and, and my wife, Dee, um, just finally came to me and said, look, you, uh, you just need to write a list of things you're grateful for. You just need to write down a list of all the things you're grateful for. And I, I still have it. I mean, if I got looked at it this week, what's interesting is, so look, in the, look on that list, and as I look around today, there's folks in the room right now. Your name's on that list. Your name's on the list because at some point you ministered to me or you ministered to my wife or you ministered to both of us. I was grateful for the blessing of being ministered to by folks in the room. You know, when you make a list of things you're grateful for, the things on the list... Those are just some of the tools that God's equipped you with. The people on the list, those are the examples of how we can minister. 
It's a really powerful tool. Again, this is not a challenge to try and do more. That's not what this is about. It's an encouragement of what each one of us is capable of, the impact that we can have on others when we recognize how God's equipped us. Which leads us to our third point, which is that every ministry is important. Well, look here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and let me read what Paul writes here. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, folks, please note there that Paul is very clear about work of the Lord and that you're working and you're laboring in the Lord. Okay? This is not about, like, I'm asking God to affirm my personal preferences and I'm going to call it a ministry. You know, like I really like baseball trading cards. I'm going to, you know, ask God to affirm my baseball trading card ministry because then I can get some really good cards that I haven't had. That's not what this is about. This is how God calls us to do his work. And folks, when we minister in any way in the work that God calls us to, it is never wasted. It's never fruitless. You might not always see the results right away. Sometimes you won't see the results you expected to see. But every ministry done in God's name counts, and every, every ministry done in God's name matters. Oswald Chambers had a, had a really great quote uh, on this subject. And what he wrote was that um, the real test, here's what Chambers said, the real test of a saint is not one's willingness to preach the gospel, but what one's willingness to do something like washing the disciples' feet. That is, being willing to do those things that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count everything to God. Now, a little context on this quote real quick. Chambers is not minimizing or dismissing the command to share the gospel with people who don't yet know the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing here is he's kind of pointing out people who make a big deal out of the fact that they share the gospel to bring recognition on themselves. He's saying that's not the point. He's saying the point here is our willingness to do acts of service that might not be noticed, that might only be noticed by the person we're serving that might be really unpleasant, that might be tiring, but it's the mark. It's the mark of our willingness to do those work. Let me give you a, a scenario here, just kind of a hypothetical. So we had a FOG member who either had an injury or an illness or, or something that caused them to end up in the hospital, and then uh, they were you know, kind of like bedridden. They, they couldn't really get around. They, they were kind of immobile for a while. What are some of the tangible ways that we can minister to that, that person. You know, we could take over meals. We could, we could help with housework, run errands. Depending on the season, you can mow lawns or, or shovel snow. Depending on where they are at their stage in life, maybe it involves child care or parent care. You could visit and just talk to them. You could visit and just listen to them. You could watch TV with them. You could read to them. You could share encouraging Bible verses. You could start a Bible study with them just one-on-one -on -one because they can't get out. You could privately pray with them. Folks, if you thought coming in today that you're not a minister, that you've never ministered, but you've done one of those things or something like that, guess what? You've ministered. You're a minister. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Because when we stop worrying about the things that we can't do and we just do the things we can, we break free of the lie that we have nothing to offer. If you've ever bought into that lie that you've got nothing to offer, I'm telling you, just drop that right now, please. Everybody has something to offer. We just do the things we can do. We do things that matter to God and matter to the people that we're serving. 
and we make an eternal difference because God's glorified when we minister. Folks, the important understanding in all of this is that ministry is about God. It's not about us. David Brainerd had a great quote. He said, we should always look upon ourselves as God's servants, placed in God's world to do his work and accordingly labor faithfully for him. Not with a design to grow rich or great, but to glorify God and do all the good we possibly can. Folks, our ministry does involve works. That's true. That's a fact. But it's not about the works being an end to themselves. Last week in in, in his message on uh, growing a peaceful heart, Pastor Michael made a great point about more activity being a wrong place to look for peace. You know, if we're looking for peace, we're looking to serve God, just being more active and doing more stuff is not the way to do that. The peace comes from being in God's will, from pointing to him while we serve, from showing people that God cares for them because he sent us to go serve them in his name, whether they're Christians or not. I think 1 Peter 4.11 kind of helps us understand this a little as well. Here Peter writes, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, there's a lot of encouragement in that passage. Folks, we speak with the words that God gives us, not our own. We don't have to figure that out. When when ministry becomes hard, when ministry becomes tiring, when we're called to do unpleasant things that we would prefer not to do, God gives us the strength to work through that as part of the equipping. That's pretty encouraging. Folks, every act of ministry, God gets the glory. Whether it's big things, whether it's little things, whether it's things everybody sees, or it's things only one person sees. God's glorified when somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. God's glorified when the changes that he makes in us leads us to serve in ways that we wouldn't have done before. We would still prefer not to do, but we do it anyway. God's glorified when we put our preferences and our wants aside and we do what somebody else needs. And he's glorified when we put aside what we want to do so we do his work. Paul makes this point real well in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17 to 20. And in there, what he writes is, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look, folks, there's a lot in those three passages right there. We could spend an entire morning just unpacking that. It's really, really great stuff. But I want to focus right now on three relevant truths today. The first is, you can see it's another biblical reference that God has clearly given us a ministry to work in his name. The second is, look at the word Paul uses there. God has entrusted us with his message of love and salvation. Think about this for a second. If you you work, how often does your boss tell you it's perfectly okay for you to go out and speak to the world, every single person you come in contact with, on his behalf? Like, just go speak for the company. It's okay. I trust you. How often does that happen? Like, between zero and never, right? But here we get the God of the universe saying, I entrust you. Matter of fact, we look at the definition of, of entrusting someone is to commit to another with confidence. It's not just, hey, here you go, man, I hope this works out. It's go, I have confidence that you're going you're to do this right because I'm with you. 
Think about that for a second. How, how, how encouraging is that? The third truth is that God made us ambassadors. You, know, you look at several different um, definitions of ambassadors. It really comes down to an authorized representative or an authorized messenger on his behalf. See, God didn't go say, hey, prove to me that you are up to this. Prove to me that you can do this. He never said that. He said, I'm going to use you to do my work. Matthew West has a song called Do Something. If, you've, if you're not familiar with that song, he's got a great line in there. And what West sings is, well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven, and I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. Folks, God knows what we're capable of. He knows we have the ability to do great things in his name, and we do have the ability time to time to mess things up. Yet still, he made us his authorized representative, and he did it with confidence. He equipped us beyond what we sometimes see or can understand. He continually gives us opportunities to do his work in his name with the skills and the abilities he's equipped us with. Folks, when we see ourselves as ministers, when the people around us in our life see us as ministers by the way that we live, when the things we do for God and the things we do for others is based solely on us placing our identity in Christ, God does amazing things that we could not have imagined before. We make impacts that we had no idea we were capable of making. And God's glorified because his kingdom grows numerically, spiritually, and geographically. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank you. We, we just stand in, in awe of you. That you would, you would look at us as your ministers. And Lord, we thank you for that. Because if someone else had not looked at themselves as a minister, had not understand themselves as a minister, no one would have shared the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. Lord, that's a powerful message. Lord, we look at the way people have, have, have served us in the way that you led them to. And Lord, we just pray for a desire that we would see the way that you have equipped us. And we would turn that back to you by serving them. But we ask you to continue to place opportunities in front of us to glorify you, to serve others to lead others to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you for the encouragement that you continually give us. We thank you for the trust that you give us, for the equipping you give us, the love that you give us. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.